2: So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So where, are these your notes? These,
0: <laughs> are these your notes
2: about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. Yeah, it. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Probably. God, so many. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: perfect.
3: What's she talking about?
2: This is not a massive. Ooh, a
3: spicy question. I love
0: it.
2: <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: i hear first. We're going <laughs> to Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I am delighted to be chatting with award-winning young adult thriller author and co-host of the Delete My Browser History podcast. It's Cynthia Murphy. Hey, Cynthia, welcome to the show.
3: Hello. Thank you for having me on.
2: Oh, thanks for coming. How's things? Not
3: too bad, thank you. Just recently moved house, so all a bit crazy and... Everything's in disarray but my office is organized slightly so
2: <laughs> That was the priority get everything in the office done
3: and the christmas tree is up.
2: <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. So it's a complete chaos but there is a christmas tree in an office. Let's talk about the exciting post christmas news and that is of course the release of your latest novel The Midnight Game January 5th 2023 How is your elevator pitch?
3: Oh <laughs> yeah, I can I can have a go. It's a new one, so I could give you one for the other two, but uh, I've not had Which to one's... do this
2: one. <laughs> Let's do the new one first and yeah. then we'll compare it to how good your pitch is for the other two. Oh no, don't
3: do that. <laughs> 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 okay, so elevator pitch. Um, six strangers meet on a paranormal website and they decide to meet in real life to play the midnight game in order to prove whether the paranormal is real or not. However, not everyone is there for the same reason uh, um there are six players but how many of them will survive
2: <laughs> that's a good pitch I, I, I think you nailed it I also love you didn't mention it but the name of the website is dead it
3: yes yeah because I wasn't allowed to use the other one
2: <laughs> yeah of course
3: <laughs> well I didn't want to I wanted it to be a bit a bit daft and you yeah. know people to recognize what it was supposed to be
2: yeah yeah, yeah that makes sense and as you mentioned you've got the two other books, they're all dark thrillers. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard from lots of authors that book number two can in some ways be the most challenging, but yes. once you're onto to three, it's sort of a different story. Was that the case for you?
3: Kind of. Um, when I was doing book two, I was working full-time as a teacher uh-huh. So I was juggling the two of them. So, of course, book one, you have all the time in the world because you're on your own schedule and you you haven't got an agent yet. You don't have a publishing contract yet. Um, book two, you have quite a tight deadline, or I did. So doing that with work was tricky. And it has a twist at the end that I I obviously knew what the twist was. Um, and the hardest bit for me was making sure that nobody else kind of saw it come in. So there was a lot of editing, a lot of pulling out things that might've given it away that to me seemed okay. Um, yeah. and all that was done within like six months. So yeah, that was tight.
2: Um, uh, and as, as part of the, the genre, I guess all of your books are, they do generally involve like big twists and sort of changing the direction, surprising the reader.
3: Yeah, yeah, I try. Um, (laughs) I'd I'd love a twist. And I think as a writer, one of the things that gets taken away from you quite early is that element of surprise when you read a book or you watch a film. Because once you start plotting out your own things, you recognise other people doing the same thing. Um, So I like to try and have a twist that people won't guess. But then I'm also very aware that my readers are teenagers and they won't have seen the same amount of things that I've seen. So, (laughs) you know, it might not be a massive shock to an adult reader who's devoured thousands of thrillers, but to a 14 year old who is reading something like that for the first time, hopefully it's a a big jaw drop moment.
2: Sure. In the same way as like a lot of younger people won't have watched a film like The Sixth Sense because it would seem so old to them.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we all remember that. That was spoiled for me before I actually watched it. But we all remember (laughs) finding out the twist, don't we? Yeah. Um, Gone Girl was mine. I remember where I was. I remember that moment of being like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's what I would love to do for a teenage reader. So when I get kind of reviews that are like, oh, it was really obvious. And, you know, I saw it come in from page one, it's generally an adult reader teenagers tend to quite like it
2: yeah people also say that as well they're like oh yeah well I always knew that was gonna happen and I'm not always convinced when people are telling the truth when they say that
3: no and at the end of book one when some people were like oh it was so predictable and I'm like was it really um I can't really (laughs) spoiler it but yeah I I did a complete like 180 (laughs) yeah and yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think it was predictable but there you go
2: yeah i mean that's the kind of situation as well where the it's it's not necessarily about what you've written as a story it's about the the sort of wider meta of how stories are written and how popular culture develops in the same way that i'm sure y- you as someone who has studied the craft will do this when you watch television oh and yeah. you, and from episode one you can be like okay so that character is probably going to die. This character is going to end up doing this. That's yeah. going to be important because of, because of like, Yeah. <laughs> and my wife will be next to me and she's like, what? she's like, what do you mean? Like, what, how do you know these things? And I'm like, well, they wouldn't have shown it otherwise. Like yes, there's too I much emphasis exactly on this.
3: Same. Yeah. I always joke that my husband sits there and he'll either say to me, right, come on, tell me, tell me what's going to happen. Or he'll be like, no, stop. And every now and then he'll look at me and be like, oh, come on. <laughs> Why have they done that? Um, I get really frustrated when they pepper those things in and there's no resolution at the end or I think, Oh, actually what I thought might have worked a little bit better than what they've actually done.
2: Oh yeah. That, I mean, that's always frustrating. The one that really grinds my gears is, and um, I love the Disney animated movies, but they, for me, they keep putting unnecessary prologues into them, which takes all the tension out of them.
3: Ah, oh, right. Okay. And if
2: no one knows what I'm talking about, just next time, <laughs> next time, depending on, you know, whether you <laughs> want to watch these kinds of movies, if you ever watch Tangled, try watching Tangled without the prologue. And I just think it's an objectively better film.
3: <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's, do you think it's done for children to give them that yeah. kind of element of understanding?
2: It has to be because, yeah, because it's, it's explaining so many things, which, I think an adult viewer or, or reader, I guess, if you did it for a for a book, would um, the excitement would be in not knowing, and yeah. then kind of covering as you go along. Whereas for they are for children, uh, I have to remember that uh, they, <laughs> you know, you want them to understand because you want to hold their attention to onto the next bit. But let's get back onto books. Let's get back onto you um, twists. You love to do a big twist. You love to do a twist that's not done before. So from this, I'm going to guess that you are a planner and a plotter
3: no oh really well i'm i'm kind of in the middle okay. um i'll have a very very loose outline which looks like a wiggly line <laughs> <laughs> um with like the the climax at the top and then basically just post it notes that say somebody dies here <laughs> um, and that will build up all the way to like, whatever I want the finale to be. I do need to know what's going to happen at the end. Like I yeah. need to know my bad guy. I need to know what the twist will be. Um, but everything else, I just kind of plow towards it.
2: But you, you always know the twist
1: going Yes, in. I have
3: to. Cause otherwise I, d- first of all, I don't like deleting stuff. So I'm not a hundred and ten thousand words and then have to cut it down.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah.
3: I just, oh, the thought of deleting stuff, just, it makes my skin <laughs> crawl. Um, so I tend to underwrite, getting all of my bits that I need to get in there. And then I'll kind of flesh it out with a bit more detail in the second draft.
2: Ah, uh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. And was that, th- I mean, this is your third book now. So yeah. you've, you know, you've been through this a few times. Was that, has that changed since the first book?
3: It's got a little bit easier in terms of, I know what I need to do. Yeah. Um, I also know that when I get to the point where I'm panicking that I've done nothing, that's when the book will actually start. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was texting Georgia, who I do the podcast with yeah, last year, and I was like, oh, and I've only done 10,000 words and it's due in on such a date. And she went, it's fine. This is just your process. And I was like, oh God, it is, isn't it? <laughs> This is the process. So I'm at the point now where I should be writing, um, but there's so many other things to do that I just keep putting it off, even though it's all in my head, I just need to get it out onto paper.
2: Well, I, I do like to think that, and this might just be me justifying procrastination, but I do like to think that writing a book, like creating a novel doesn't necessarily mean you, ha- you are 100% of the time writing words. Like I think there's a huge, there's so much of it has to go into just thinking about stuff or just researching stuff or just p- sort of putting notes down and the bits oh, and bobs yeah. depending on process and things like that. But
3: definitely just little things like in the new book, there's um like a series of unsolved murders from the 90s. And I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and I was racking my brain. Like I needed something to base it around, you know, so it had a bit of, a bit of weight and a bit of historical stuff to it. And I watched the Texas Killing Fields on Netflix
2: uh-huh.
3: and that was it. I was like, well, this is, this is exactly kind of what was in my head. Um, so while I won't, you know, I won't use names and things like that, but just to be able to look into something like that has been really, really useful. And that wouldn't have happened if I was pulling my hair out in front of the computer.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Like there's no point in many ways, I think, forcing yourself to write. when, no.
3: And then you have to delete it.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Don't, why force yourself to write 5,000 words in a day when you'd probably be better off going off, doing some research, like looking up some stuff, watching something that kind of will inspire you and then writing a thousand words, which you won't have to delete. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And I know like if I have a good day... I could be at the computer morning till evening and come away with like five, 10,000 words. Yeah. And it will have been because I've I felt the need to get it out. I'm definitely not a thousand word a day girl.
2: <laughs> let's, um let's dial it back. Uh, let's go back to when you first got your foot into the door of publishing. Um, when was it, when did you decide that you wanted to take your writing to the, to the next level and really pursue it?
3: In about 2012, 2013, um, I just got married and I was teaching on a temporary contract and I didn't know if I was going to get a full time job or what I was going to do. And I didn't really have any hobbies. I used to play netball and then I broke my foot. So I couldn't do that anymore. Um, And I'd always been a reader. And I'd always wanted to have a go. So my husband said, just do it. Just write the book that you keep banging on about um, and have a go. So. I wrote one, I did all my research, sent it out and obviously got absolutely nowhere. Um, <laughs> lots of like tumbleweed. Um, but I did have one nice, I had one really encouraging reply of one agent who said, you know, it's not quite right and it's got this and this wrong with it, but there's something here. And then somebody requested the full and it was like the best feeling ever, even though later on she got back to me and she was like, no, the main
0: character is awful. (laughs) And I really don't like him. Um. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar forty nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: So but that little bit of encouragement made me think,
3: Well, you know what, I can try again, I can do another one. And then I got on the Curtis Brown course, mm-hmm. which gave me a critique group and you know, it gave me um, an author to speak to who had been through this process and and could help a little bit. Um, and then I ended up getting an agent with the second book. Um, and then I got cancer two weeks later.
2: <laughs> oh no!
3: So that kind of put a stop to everything. And then by the time I was ready to write again, she parted ways with me, and I was kind of back at square
2: one. Oh gosh, I didn't realize you'd had a previous because you're with yeah. Stephanie Thwaites now. Yes. Yeah. Who Curtis was Bratt. on
3: the top of my list. Well, at the time, Steph was on maternity leave when I was on the course. Uh, so I feel okay. like we were ships that passed in the night um, <laughs> and we never quite got to meet at that time, but it yeah. wasn't the right book and it wasn't, definitely wasn't the right time because of everything that came after.
2: Yeah. Well, at least a happy ending in the end where you you guys, uh, you, you did become agent and, and author, yeah. and you have now released, th- well, soon to be released three books together. Yeah.
3: Um, it's crazy. So it was, uh, last one to die was actually the fourth book that I'd written. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think the Curtis Brown course and then doing a few things with Scooby um, and just going to like little writing workshops and things where I learn about actually how to plot and reading books like Save the Cat and Into the Woods and, you know, learning about the art of storytelling.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Once I'd had a, a few goes and then I put all of that together, it seemed to work in, it was called Creeper at the time. Um, cause when I sent that out, I had nine agent offers.
2: What well, last one to die was originally called Creeper?
3: Yes. But they I like the Creeper's it. a great name. <laughs> I like Creeper. I think they were worried it was a bit too horrory. Um, okay. and, they wanted to like slot it into the market with you know the kind of thrillers that were doing really well at the time
2: yeah 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 was there uh with with because because uh so last one's die the first book win lose yep. kill die the second book and yep. then the midnight game was there ever a discussion of should we have die in the name of the new one
3: um i asked not to <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, well you so with that <laughs> the the first two i didn't name i had different names for the this one it was called The Midnight Game from day one, and it just uh-huh. seemed to work. Um, yeah. Because Win, Lose, Killed, I was Head Girl originally. And in the first print run of Last One to Die, there's a chapter in the back, and it's actually called Head Girl.
2: Ah, uh, okay.
3: So, but then they, I think they wanted it to kind of fit with the first one, and obviously they, they use the same kind of colours on my book, so it's very obviously a Cynthia Murphy book. Yeah. Which I kind of love.
2: The the first two are very 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 similar, and the, the the new one is also similar, but it's 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 slightly removed from the, the from the first two. I think
3: I feel like they've grown up. I feel like last one to die was the baby, and then win yeah. lose kill die looked slightly more sophisticated and grown up, and then this one is like reached its full potential, and it's just so beautiful. <laughs> this um, is
2: your final form. <laughs>
3: yeah, they just look great together.
2: And speaking of win lose kill die, at one point it was trending. On TikTok. Was it that, was, yeah. Was that a shock when you found out?
3: <laughs> it was because I was at a wedding up in Carlisle um for the whole weekend with no phone reception.
2: Oh, okay.
3: And then on the Monday morning as we were leaving, when I woke up, my phone was in like a sweet spot and it must have found a bit of signal overnight. So when I picked it up on Monday morning, it had gone absolutely crazy. <laughs> and Catherine Foxfield had sent me a DM saying, why is your book doing suspiciously well on Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> so I went on and it was at number 64 in the wow. overall Amazon chart. And then it had sold out. So I was a bit upset because I wanted to see how far it would have gone if it hadn't have sold out. Um, yeah, But this video wow. was like two weeks old at the time because the girl who made it had tagged me in it at the time. And it was just um a video of the first page and she kind of left it open long enough for you to be able to read it and then closed it to show the cover and I remember at the time I was like oh thank you really glad you enjoyed the book and then two weeks later it had just gone bonkers and it's had like two million views now on that one video
2: so it's, uh, it's amazing it yeah, two million people is such an insane like number to try and comprehend to try and picture that mm. many people
3: yeah reading a book. there was um somewhere in Germany, some website had it for sale and there'd been a glitch on the site. So at one point when people were trying to buy it, it was on sale for like 700 euros <laughs> <laughs> because of whatever had happened. Oh, and no. it was just crazy. Um, and sales went through the roof. I think we did like 750 in a week. That's, you amazing. know, of a, a, a book that had been out in the world for six or seven months already.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, what a, what a, what a compelling argument for make your first page as, you know, grabby as possible. You could really well, good draw people in.
3: <laughs> yeah. I do remember when I sat down to write it, I wanted a killer first line. Yeah. You know, they always say like, what's the first line you remember? And I hadn't really done it before. And I thought, well, this one, this deserves a, a killer first line. So
2: it paid off. It, it definitely paid off. Before we get to the final question. Um, I always like to, to ask, uh, authors who who have been doing this for a while now, um, what's something or, or maybe some advice that you wish you'd known when you first got into publishing that, that you now know?
3: Oh, there's going to be a lot of waiting. <laughs> um, and if you're like yeah. me, oh, you're not going to deal well with it it's something that really triggers my anxiety. Um, Even to the point where I had been offered the U S deal, but then I knew that I wasn't allowed to talk about it and that was okay. But then when I found out that the announcement had gone to press and it would be kind of in the press any day now, but any day now in publishing can mean either tomorrow or in six months. Yeah. So I found myself anxiously, constantly refreshing um, my email, the website that it was going to be on, all of these things just to see it, just in case it had come up. Um, and it took about two or three weeks for it to come up. And I was just biting my nails the whole time, even though I already <laughs> knew.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was you just, just wanted to tell people.
3: <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to shout about it. Um, so there, there's an awful lot of waiting. It's nice to have, you know, a little secret, but I think at the beginning more so, you really do want to shout about everything because... For most people, it's been a long journey and yeah. you know it's a bit of a dream come true.
2: Yeah. So I no, would have 100%. definitely
3: liked to know there was that like level <laughs> of waiting around. Also, for people querying, I think have a separate email address. I think it's really important because otherwise you kind of constantly check in your email in case an agent has got back to you or, you know, in case something has happened. So I've got a completely separate one and I have an alert on it. So I know that when that goes off, that's an email that I need to kind of, you know, go and give some attention to.
2: Oh, that's a good, um, that's that's really good advice. I've, I've not, I've not heard that before. But yeah, well, that makes sense. I, I didn't you. do
3: it with the first book, and I remember like waiting for agents to maybe get back to me and yeah. it was just through my normal email account, so every time it went off, I was like, "Oh, and then it'd be you know <laughs> Amazon or it would be something really rubbish um so when I got around to querying again, I set up a separate one
2: That's really good that's really clever no that's yeah. Because you're right, you, you obviously need to use a, your email address in, in just day-to-day life. But then um, if, you're, if you are waiting for something, it's every single time something goes off, you're jumping to it and then immediately yeah. getting disappointed.
3: And you don't lose stuff. Either. Like at the minute, admin is like up to my eyeballs, just you know yeah. sorting things out for different things. And so that really helps because there's less traffic through this email address. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. lose things. <laughs>
2: Going back to your first your first bit about uh, you wish you'd known how slow publishing is, how long things can take mm-hmm. N- now that you're you know three books in h- how do you how do you kind of uh, are you just used to it now are you just acclimatized to it, or do you sort of use strategies techniques to to get your mind off it?
3: I think I am a bit more used to it um I think I know I mean good news is good news isn't it? so if I can't shout about it yet, I know I will be able to at some point. Yeah. The US one kind of took me by surprise, but I think I was just so excited about it that I was just <laughs> dying to tell everyone. And my mum kept going, can I tell anybody yet?
2: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um,
3: so, but yeah, I think, and actually, I think my experience in publishing in general has actually been quite fast. Yeah. So even though it took a long time to get here, like I'd signed with an agent within a month of sending the manuscript out. I got a deal within three weeks of the manuscript being sent to publishers.
2: That's fine. And then
3: I've had a book a year, you know, kind yeah. of ever since. I've got another one scheduled for next year. I've got four books coming out next year. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not allowed to talk about them all yet, but there'll be four. So one is the Win, Lose, Kill, Die US edition that I'll have to do like promotion for. Oh, yeah. One is the Midnight Game. And uh-huh. then there's two secret ones.
2: Oh, wow. You have so- been busy.
3: It will be really busy, I know, and there's more to come, so which is amazing and wonderful, but um, it can be a bit stressful. And then I have to remind myself that it's good stress and yeah. stress that I want.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to hear that you've got so much in the works. But I think that brings us to the final question of the interview, which is, as always, Cynthia, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take?
3: Okay, so I am a fan of the plot twist. So I'm going to throw you a big plot twist here um, <laughs> okay. because my book is not a horror or a thriller. It's The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Okay. Um, which is a bit of an oldie. So it must be at least 10 years old now. Um, but it's a slight retelling of Dracula and it's set in kind of 1970s, 80s Istanbul. Um, there's bits of it set in Amsterdam. And it's just a beautiful historical novel, but it's got that slight edge of horror in it. Um, it's just got a little bit of everything. So it's got yeah. the beautiful descriptions. It's got a really compelling storyline. It's long, so it would take me a <laughs> while to get through it each time. Um Every time I read it, I kind of spot something new about it, or there's something that I forgot about it last time. I think I've read it five or six times.
2: Oh, amazing. Um, so tried and tested.
3: Yeah. Everything that I would like <laughs> shoved together in one book.
2: Um, oh, amazing. So a
3: bit spooky, a bit historical, Um, you know, good strong female lead character in a time where strong female lead characters weren't really a thing.
2: Yeah. sounds like you found the perfect book.
3: A little bit of a love interest. Yeah, it's great. <laughs>
2: Great choice. And and uh, it's always, I, I love a, I, I love a retelling. I know we're getting a lot of retellings at the moment from all sorts of fairy tales and things like that, but yeah. I do really enjoy a retelling set in a different period, in a different place with different characters.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's more of an inspired by than a
2: retelling. Okay.
3: Um, so it's about a girl's mum who has disappeared, but Dracula had fallen in love with her at some point. So she her dad then disappears as well because he goes off he has a lead about the mum, and she find the daughter finds all these letters and finds out what was going on oh. and uh like chases after them through europe on trains and carriages and just all this wonderful stuff
2: oh yeah sounds great sounds like a very uh, uh romanticized uh, european adventure with mystery and excitement
3: yes. it's like a travel guide yeah it's just got everything <laughs> <laughs>
2: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your, your writing and your books and, and the sort of journey that you've been through. It's been really great chatting.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: And for anyone listening, to make sure that you uh, keep up with everything Cynthia is doing, you can follow her on all socials at Cynthia Murphy YA. Check out the podcast, Delete My Browser History with fellow YA author Georgia Bowers. It's a lot of fun hearing about all the insane things (laughs) that authors end up Googling to to research their books. Uh, And of course, Cynthia's latest book, The Midnight Game, is out January 5th. So go and uh, find it in all all the usual places. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram and TikTok at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again to Cynthia and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.